Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Good morning to you and welcome to CBS This Morning. It's Wednesday, September 23rd, 2020. I'm Gail King with Anthony Mason and Tony DeCopel. We're going to begin with America taking time to honor the life and the legacy of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. In just a few hours, her casket will arrive at the Supreme Court building for a private ceremony. And after that, the public will be invited to pay its respects. In the Senate chamber nearby, the angry debate over replacing Ginsburg ran late into the night. Democrats are using every tool they have to slow down a Republican march to confirm President Trump's future nominee to fill that seat on the high court. Nancy Cordes is on Capitol Hill. Nancy, where do things stand now? Well, the biggest development, Anthony, is that we now know that Republicans appear to have the votes to move forward with this nomination. Some of them want to wait to hold a final confirmation vote until after the presidential election, but the more vocal among them want to act now, arguing that it reduces the risk of any unforeseen snags. Democrats say they're not giving up yet. This vacancy caused by the unfortunate death of RBG would lock in this hard right agenda for a generation, for a generation. Senate Democrats took to the floor for more than five hours last night to lay out what they say is at stake for the country. Let me be clear. The future of Roe v. Wade is on the line. The future of a woman being able to control her own body is on the line. But in the midst of a global pandemic with more than 200,000 of our loved ones dead from a virus raging out of control, Mitch McConnell and Senate Republicans want to install a justice who will rip that health care away. Earlier, they delayed Senate business, one of the few procedural tools in their arsenal. If Republicans say they have the votes, is there anything you can do? We have to go out and mount a case that this country is going to be fundamentally changed by this nominee. The only thing Republicans seem to be split on is whether to hold a confirmation vote before the election or after. I hope it happens before the election. Some people feel like it energizes um, the Republican base. I, think, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Senate leader Mitch McConnell would only say he's committed to a vote this year. Early polls show that a majority of Americans disagree with your approach. They want you to wait. Does that give you pause? Well, as all of us have pointed out, we have an obligation under the Constitution, should we choose to take advantage of it, with a president of the same party as the Senate to advance the nomination. The president plans to make that nomination on Saturday. And now we're going to pick a great woman. 
CBS News has learned that Judge Amy Coney Barrett was at the White House for a second time on Tuesday. She is a favorite of religious conservatives who believe that she will help to overturn Roe versus Wade. And while the president is considering other judges, aides here on Capitol Hill tell us that GOP leaders favor Amy Coney Barrett because she's a known quantity and has already endured one tough nomination fight back in 2017 for her federal appeals court post. Tony. All right, Nancy, thank you very much. This morning's ceremony for Justice Ginsburg is the start of a three-day formal farewell in Washington. Jan Crawford is outside the Supreme Court for us. Jan, good morning to you. What can we expect? Well, just before 9.30 this morning, Justice Ginsburg will arrive here at the court for the last time. Her casket is going to go up those steps and inside the Great Hall of the Supreme Court where there'll be a private ceremony for her family, her close friends, the justices, and some of their spouses. Her casket then will be brought out to the top of the steps under the portico where she will lie in repose until Thursday night. Now, this is a change. Typically, a justice will lie in repose inside the Supreme Court, but because of the coronavirus, Coronavirus, uh, it will be outside, and everyone will be required to maintain social distancing and wear a mask. She also will lie in repose longer uh, than is usual for a justice, but crowds are already gathering. Uh, there are going to be thousands of people here, so it's decided that that extra day was necessary. And one of the many people uh, that we expect to pay their respects is President Trump, just like President Obama did uh, in 2016 uh, when he came to pay respects uh, to Justice Antonin Scalia, a conservative icon. Uh, we don't yet know if uh, the Democratic uh, presidential nominee Joe Biden uh, plans to travel back to Washington. Uh, but the point is that today and tomorrow, this is a time and on Friday uh, for people to put aside their political differences and honor a justice, even if you disagreed with her, uh, who made tremendous contributions to her country. Tony. She did indeed, Jan. I'll take it. Thank you. The details of Justice Ginsburg's memorial are unique, but her family's grief is recognized by far too many Americans who have lost loved ones to the coronavirus. The House of Representatives held a moment of silence yesterday to acknowledge that painful milestone. More than 200,000 people in the U.S. who have died from COVID-19. Hundreds more die every day. Still an alarming rate of loss. Our lead national correspondent, David Begno, joins us. David, you've witnessed both heartbreak and resolve. We have, Anthony. You know, it wasn't that long ago when we first heard Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci say there was the possibility and the potential that we could reach 200,000 deaths in this country. And collectively, we were shocked. Now, seven months into this pandemic, here we are. We don't wish this on anyone, but... Natalie and Maureen Fagan lost their sister Adeline to complications from coronavirus on Saturday. Dr. Fagan, who had a history of asthma, was in her second year of residency as an OBGYN in Houston, Texas. She had helped to treat coronavirus patients in the ER, and she died after spending two months in the hospital. She wanted to wake up every day, do what she loved, which is delivering babies, be compassionate, help women, help children. Kimora Lynham died on July 17th. She was just nine years old and had no underlying health conditions. Jermaine Stevens dreamed of playing professional football like his father. The 20-year-old died due to coronavirus complications earlier this month. My son was so full of life and had so many plans and so much life to live and to have that dream deterred 
by COVID is devastating. The reality is the pandemic is far from over, experts say. 28 states report increases in new cases from one week ago. And cases are rising at rates not seen in two months. Here's former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb's fear as we move into fall. The concern is that as we get a little bit more complacent because we are exhausted as a population from what we've been going through, we head back to school and college, people try to go back to work against the backdrop of the fall and the winter when people are heading indoors because the weather's cooling. That's a real setup for risk. The longer the pandemic, the more people are at risk, from the elderly to frontline workers, like doctors Carlos and Jorge Vallejo, father and son from South Florida, who were both hospitalized with coronavirus on Father's Day. They died just weeks apart. Miss Virginia Smith died of coronavirus at the age of 90. She was a grandmother to 12 and a great grandmother to 10. She was also a devout Catholic who attended mass every day for nearly 40 years. Was not Caroline is her daughter. I think it's really difficult to understand what the elderly patients in care facilities are going through, how lonely they are. And then in their time of greatest need, they're left alone. Here are some of the statistics. People 55 and older account for 90% of coronavirus deaths. Black Americans are twice as likely to die. Gail, this week we were talking to one of the leading infectious disease experts in the country who told my producer and I something we were shocked to hear. He said, I believe that down the road we will look back and say, if only, if only we had just stayed at 200,000. Yes. Yeah. Boy. That... That leaves us a lot to think about, David. I, I, I don't take that 200,000 number lightly at all. Thank you very much. And it's a reminder. It reminds me of the pieces that you do, Anthony, that you used to do every Friday, that behind those numbers yes, are people. Are people and 200,000 families and relatives are mourning the loss. Yeah, well, some, that means millions that, of people are literally mourning the loss. in many losses. cases, yeah. and the more we hear, maybe the number didn't have to be that high. No. That's another thing that's so painful to acknowledge. What we're looking at with, with this virus is a cause of death that is likely to be in the top three for the whole year, just behind heart disease and cancer. Think about that. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. No, it's a staggering number. And as, as David points out, it's not over. And we're seeing in Europe a resurgence of, of, uh, of cases and the spread of the virus again. So, you know, this, yeah. this has got a long way to go. Sir. Yeah, we may say that we're tired of COVID, but COVID is not done with us. No. It is still a raging problem. We have to take this seriously. President Trump chose not to mention the painful toll of the 200,000 number that David just told us about during a campaign rally near Pittsburgh last night. As Ben Tracy reports, he defended his response to the pandemic and then mocked the public health measure used by tens of millions of Americans, including his Democratic opponent. We're talking about masks. In the debate, it'll be him and I on the stage. Is he going to walk in with a mask? As the country reached a once unthinkable milestone, more than 200,000 dead in the United States, President Trump made fun of Joe Biden for wearing a mask, something proven to slow the spread of the virus. I mean, honestly, what the hell did he spend all that money on the plastic surgery if he's going to cover it up with a mask? At a large and largely maskless rally in Pittsburgh Tuesday night, he praised his administration's response to the pandemic. Our early and aggressive action saved millions of lives. But the president only commented on the staggering death toll earlier at the White House when pressed by reporters. Well, I think it's a shame. I think if we didn't do it properly and do it right, 
you'd have two and a half million deaths. But former Vice President Joe Biden accused the president of making the pandemic worse, tweeting, it didn't have to be this bad. And his running mate, Senator Kamala Harris, accused President Trump of downplaying the virus when he knew it was deadly. With this knowledge, went on to call this virus a hoax. Went on to suggest that we should dismiss what the public health professionals were telling us. Last night, President Trump once again claimed there will soon be a vaccine. We'll develop and distribute a vaccine very, very shortly in record time. But according to the Washington Post, the FDA is actually going to tighten its restrictions for approving a coronavirus vaccine that could make the president's timeline unlikely. There is some good news, however, on the vaccine front here in the U.S. A fourth large-scale coronavirus vaccine trial is entering phase three testing on adults. This one is promising because it hopes to provide protection with one dose versus two. Tony. That is good news, Ben. Thank you very much. Tropical storm Beta could slam Louisiana and Mississippi with severe floods later today. Torrential rain and flooding are still a threat after the storm dumped 14 inches of rain in Houston. Cars were left submerged, forcing nearly 100 high water rescues in the Houston area since Monday night. Officials set up about 70 barricades throughout the city where roads looked more like rivers. Similar scenes are expected in Louisiana and Mississippi, where the storm could dump another six inches of rain. Vice President Mike Pence had travel trouble on the campaign trail. Video shows a bird hitting the right engine of Air Force Two yesterday as it took off in New Hampshire. The plane returned to the Whoa. airport out of caution. Officials say Pence was not in any danger. He was returning to Washington after a campaign event. The vice president finally got home riding in a cargo plane. Admiral Brett Joie, Assistant Secretary for Health, tweeted a photo saying Air Force Two is a little different look tonight. Yeah, but I'll take that look to land safely. You don't yeah. want to be on a plane that gets hit by a bird. Kentucky's attorney general could announce as soon as today whether a grand jury called for criminal charges in the Breonna Taylor case. The Louisville police officers who killed the emergency medical worker in her home during a botched drug raid have been under investigation for several months. This morning, buildings in downtown Louisville are boarded up in case of protest, and the city has already declared a state of emergency. Our national correspondent, Jerika Duncan, is there. Jerika, good morning to you. What's the attorney general saying? Good morning, Gail. He's not saying much, but sources tell CBS News that an announcement is imminent, likely happening this week. No matter what the decision, though, businesses and restaurants, as you can see in this popular downtown area, are boarded up. And the mayor and police chief here say they're ready. We are merely taking steps we feel are necessary to protect the public. Interim Louisville Police Chief Robert Schroeder says he's implementing safety measures ahead of an announcement from Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron. You're saying that the city is not on lockdown, but it feels like it is. I could understand to the, some members of the public how people would feel that way, but that is certainly not our intention. Cameron's office is expected to announce whether Sergeant Jonathan Mattingly, Miles Cosgrove, and former Detective Brett Hankison will face charges in the shooting death of Breonna Taylor. On Tuesday, CBS News obtained a copy of an email Mattingly sent to his colleagues expressing his support for them ahead of the decision. It reads in part, regardless of the outcome, I know we did the legal, moral and ethical thing that night. It's sad how the good guys are demonized and the criminals are canonized. I asked the police chief about Mattingly's message. That's a situation that's currently developing. It's simply too premature at this time to talk about it. 
CBS News also obtained the more than 1,200 crime scene photos from the March 13th shooting that left Taylor dead. Police used a no-knock warrant to raid her apartment looking for drugs and money. Taylor's boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, says he assumed the police were intruders and fired one shot. Police fired back, hitting Taylor five times. Bullets were found all over the apartment and in neighboring units. Police never found what they were looking for. As we await the news of possible state charges, Chief Schroeder says the safety measures will stay in place. I hope, we hope that all of this is simply not needed, that it will be a peaceful situation. And this week, the Louisville Metro Police Department announced that they're investigating three additional officers in Taylor's case, saying they may have potentially broken department policies. Thank you for listening to the CBS This Morning podcast. Be sure to subscribe to get daily podcast originals. You can watch the CBS This Morning broadcast Monday through Saturday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. on your local CBS station or live on the CBS All Access app. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to CBS Mornings on the go ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Do you ever feel like there's nothing new in the news? You know there are urgent things happening in the world around you, but all you hear is noise. That's why we made What Next? Our goal is to tell you the stories you haven't heard before, or maybe a different side to the story you thought you already knew all about. I'm Mary Harris, the host of What Next? And I love my job because it helps me cut through the noise of the news. And then I get to bring it to you. Together, we can figure out what next. Hey, it's Matt Norlander with the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, and it is tournament time, people. So listen to the one podcast that will cover every upset, Cinderella, Bracket Buster Sleeper. We've got it all covered, every round, reaction shows, all the way up through the championship game in Glendale, Arizona. To find us, search Eye on College Basketball podcast wherever you get your podcasts.